subscribers, we will be giving away this. This is a Mantis X10 Elite. Mantis is the Tesla of shooting, and this will help you suck less. Um, at 1,500 subscribers, we will be giving away a $100 gift certificate to Uncle Sam's Misguided Children, which should be pretty cool. Today, I am joined by an esteemed member of the YouTube community and the gun community, and we're going to be talking a little bit of what happened at GRPC. Uh, welcome to the show, Mr. G-Webs. Hey, thanks for the uh, invite. Happy, happy to be here. Sorry for the uh, misunderstanding with the time zones. I'm still new to that, I guess. Uh, totally okay. How are you doing? Here to Midland. How about you? It's been a while since we chatted, I guess. Yeah. I, well, chatted online. Um, we've chatted other places uh, on yeah. your show, the Ely Gun Show. Um, but yeah, so did you watch the GRPC? Yeah, this was my fifth one. So I was really eager to see how it worked visually or virtually. So I was uh, there for the Friday night get together, which was like a virtual uh, implementation of the cocktail party that happens on Friday night at the GRPC, the Gun Rights Policy Conference. Normally, it's held in a different state each year, a uh, different city each year. It usually alternates between gun friendly and unfriendly. So everyone travels pretty much at some point or another to get to GRPC. So on Fridays, when the people kind of assemble in the town, there's a cocktail party. And then on Saturday night, after the first night of the conference, there's another cocktail party. And as much as GRPC is a place for us all to, to get situation reports from each other and to offer them to the community, the other layer of gun rights policy conference that I've experienced is the... Um, the collaborations and the networking and the uh, ideas that get spread in those cocktail parties. So I wanted to experience all of that in the virtual format. And the only thing I missed, I think, was there was a virtual get together on Sunday morning before the event. And I was doing stuff on Sunday morning in real life. So I missed that. But otherwise, I, I attended all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it go with the cocktail party? Was there a lot of people there or not as yeah, many? Yeah, on Zoom, which you know, I had used Zoom before, but only with Second Amendment Foundation. They're the first ones that I've used that with. You know, we use StreamYard like you're using uh, out of Canada or other services. So Stream, uh, so Zoom was all right. And the first night, I was like 101 people there. And then the second night, it was like 50-something people there. Uh, so, I mean... If you've experienced a Zoom meeting, it's very much like this. Only thing it's missing is the part, the the exponent that streams it to the YouTube. So uh, you have a basically a giant private room like this, which was very much like a like a conference or a, a get together. You know, the the really the only thing you couldn't do is kind of separate into smaller groups. Um, you know, virtually, but you could easily uh, send out links and have another room open and just invite people to that room. So anyway, I think it did. I mean, as, who knows, but as far as things go, I think they did a really good job of emulating both the event and the cocktail parties virtually. Yeah, I got a new setup. Uh, my, I replaced my cameras. I got rid of all the web cameras and got just got cannons. So I'm trying to adjust the lighting and everything else. <laughs> It's going to be, I don't know how I look. Looks pretty decent on this end. Yeah, just uh, getting the lighting right. Um, the 
Porsche webcams use a different amount of light and stuff. So I've been going back and forth with this. All right. So um, that's that's a lot lot more people than I would expected to show up for a uh, cocktail party. Yeah, and I think a lot of people understand the the value of the actual get together, the evenings get together, or the get together in the evenings, and uh, and I think well this year a lot of people are being forced or you know newly introduced to Zoom, so it wasn't new for some people. Um, of that hundred and something the first night, I'm gonna say ten people talked, maybe twelve people. So it was a smaller group of people actually talking, and most people were observing. But again, the, the amount of information that got across was vast. Uh, for a while there, we had some good discussion on two A topics, and I'm guessing that some of those people had never been in that type of situation before, so they got experience with something that they may have never experienced before. But um, that's very much like the regular cocktail party where maybe there's something, a conversation that people are having. And then, you know, you'll have your people in that conversation that are listening. But then there's almost always a group of people that are you know, just arm's length away that had been overhearing it and are still gathering something from that conversation. And you have that element in this type of format. I know a couple of people that I talked to, they started to watch it but they just couldn't get into it because of virtual setting. Did you have that problem? Uh, maybe because um, it's, no, I mean, guess no, but I could understand why someone could, because if it's new and this is, you know, something that you're still trying to struggle with the subject matter and then the format isn't conducive if you're not comfortable. But I think the opposite applies where some of us that are real fluent with this this was a no, this wasn't even a thing. Like the, the virtual part of it was taken in stride. So I don't know if they're going to get feedback because it's really about their audience. I mean, my audience is probably fluent with, you know, don't go in online where some other audience might be completely foreign to it. Uh, if their audience was somewhere, you know, their audience was somewhere in between. So who knows? They'll have to tell us if their audience gave them feedback that it was. I guess, what do you call that? Like easy to deal with or not? But I'm pretty sure no one really complained. Nobody was, you know, every year you've got somebody that'll say, hey, what's going on? Where am I? You know, how do I do this? There was very few questions like that. In fact, I don't know if there were any questions like what button do I click or how do I unmute? You know, just some of the simple stuff. I think there were, there were a lot of people out there um, who actually got exposed to it for the first time. Um, this is the first GRPC I've actually been to. When I say been figuratively was actually there but you know what i'm talking about um right. so it, it was a lot of good information i'm not sure um I, i'm not i'm not sure if the average uh like gun youtube watcher would get it but for like people like you people like me uh like people who actually work in 2a advocacy i can definitely see how it would be helpful thank you rich rich just gave money five bucks on super chat over on youtube so that that's helping out the news yeah i can do that i can do the Wolverines. i got my whole soundboard up <laughs> running yeah, as far um, as the presentation being like, you know, for the masses or dumbed down, 
it, that's definitely always a concern. I think, you know, it's not really designed to be the, the event is in its 35th year. So it's had some time to, you know, adjust and become what it is. And, uh, I don't think the event was ever designed to be like a spit and polished presentation for a, a, a layman's terms or whatever you'll call it, like an amateur. Uh, I think it's always been a real, uh, whatever the version of hardcore is for nerds. Like it's always been like really, really into uh, the nuts and bolts of 2A. And I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily uh, uh, an aspect that needs to be developed, but it could be developed. Does that make sense? I don't I don't really know the ramifications. I have to look at it in the bigger picture as far as strategy to see if it's worth tweaking. In other words, if you tweak the thing to be just a presentation that was appealing to kids, it would be useless as a, uh, you know, uh, instructional and, um, you know, as the, as the conference that it is, it's, you know, getting information across that's dry and not necessarily fun. If you sugarcoated all that, it would be a different thing. And I don't think that's what people need or appreciate, you know, the, the strategic aspect that it provides has nothing to do with outreach or um, education. It's all about infrastructure support and coordination networking and stuff. So, you know, being public or the fact that it can be public, uh, I don't know. There's definitely some some effort in this area that I think every area, you know, it's just that line between the behind the curtain and in front of the curtain. And it's not that it's hidden behind the curtain. It's just that you don't really want to look at all those nuts and bolts necessarily to get the point across. You just want to watch the movie. You know, not everybody needs to see every camera adjustment or knob or whatever like some of that stuff is just easier to not deal with and this is i think just right on that line where you kind of need to be, have the curtain open but every time you open the curtain you don't get the experience you expect so it's just i think it's going to be a one or the other thing you don't want to see how the sausage is made yeah exactly and if you start talking about the how you cook it then you're no longer a customer anymore now you're a, now you're a, you know, a cook and it's just a different conversation with the customers and with the cooks right yeah, isn't that what we want to do, though? Make everyone out there a cook? I don't think we want to make anybody a cook. I think letting people have, like, a glass wall to the kitchen or, like, Subway, where they can be part of the creation of something. But to suggest that everybody needs to care enough or be obligated, that's fascism. So, no, I don't think everybody has to. But if you're, you know... If you if you insist on being ignorant, it shouldn't it should be something you have to work at, right? There's nothing wrong with putting the information in front of everybody, and it's yours to ignore. But I don't. I'm going to stop before everybody has to do anything. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I understand that. Um, I, I think it's good. Do you think they should do it in person, but also have like a live feed that runs on YouTube? I don't know. I used to be a really big advocate for the live feed, and now I'm debating my own position or that position anymore um, because of that same thing. If you water it down to where it's appealing to YouTube, you've maybe made it ineffective, or you probably have made it ineffective. And I don't know, with a different set of, you know, if it was all YouTubers that started fighting for 2A and they were just capable of doing highly produced YouTube videos you know, with one hand tied behind their back while they're really paying attention to the subject matter, then it would be a different story. But we're talking about people that have been involved since 1968 when our first national level infringement started happening to us, you know, the modern uh, infringement started happening. 
So expecting somebody who started working in 1971 and he's 24 years old and, you know, we're watch we're seeing more obituaries than we are welcoming new people into the realm. Uh, it's a little, it's a little, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not the right position to take to expect them to also make everything nice for us on YouTube. That's just a skill set that, you know, it's not fair to push on them. I mean, they've made things useful in, pay, in publications. They've made things available in periodicals. They've made things available in mail. You know, they've made things available in online formats up until now to expect them to be fluent in streaming. You know, the next evolution or the, the, the step in evolution. Yeah, it might be a little bit too much to expect from somebody who's really supposed to be keeping the kitchen working, you know, not not necessarily worrying about what parsley is on our plate. Yeah, I mean, I can I can I can definitely see your point on that. But I, I do think that they need to do some type of uh, live stream or something for the advocates that can't be there. Oh, no, I hear you. And and if, it, if it's something like uh, uh, an invite thing where you you got to at least understand that you're seeing something that's data and not um, <laughs> an evening entertainment show then that's all I would add as a disclaimer, just so that you don't invite a bunch of people in expecting to see, you know, the next big YouTube sensational thing, and then find out that it's just a bunch of nerds talking about our rights, you know, they, the bait and switch type of thing. As long as people know that they're going to talk nerdy with like, you know, like Clover does on Thursday, then uh, I'm down for the idea. But um, I think what happens is as soon as you present it on YouTube, people un assume everyone assumes that it's supposed to be some sort of a presentation and then it starts to be critiqued as all it's, you know, all the things it missed on the presentation part. Yeah, I, I can definitely see your, your point on that. Um, With Zoom and stuff though, you don't need to just have it be live. Like you could have like a whole thing where if you're not able to be here, but you wanted to be here, sit in this Zoom auditorium where you're literally part of it. Cause that what you offer there and you could be in the room and still be in the Zoom thing because you got the text comments and stuff. So imagine having a panel discussing a subject or whatever. And then at the end of that 15 minute panel of three or four people, you've got a five minute uh, question and answer. And instead of waiting for somebody to show up in real life and stand in front of a microphone and not know how to work a microphone and either yell or whisper into it, you know, and so we all have that kind of stuff to deal with. Instead of wasting any of that time, the panel or a moderator could say, Oh, in the Zoom conversation of all the remote viewers that weren't able to be here, we had this question. They could pop it up on the screen, like you know, like we can with these services, and then that could be real uh, useful for the for the event, for any event like this. I guess. Well, that's kind of what I was uh, alluding to. Something like yeah. that, you know. And then, in, in, in when you have something like that, and people are able, are used or accustomed to multitasking, whatever it's called, um, what you'll get is a conversation happening in that text chat parallel to the live conversation. And yeah, I mean, if there was one, let's just say video feed for observers, and then a second video feed that's more like the, uh, the people at NATO who are all listening to the same translator or whatever, so everybody's on the same thing having something like that for just the dedicated to a activists to listen and have their own portal, I guess their own uh, door to the room. That could be super powerful actually. 
Because when you get a bunch of people that are thinking the same thing, that are on the same track in a chat room together, and you remove all the people that are just observers, that are just paying, you know watching because they got nothing else to do that weekend, um, you know, you, and, and get rid of all those questions and just extra stuff, that could be a pretty effective feedback mechanism, right? I don't think we've seen anything like that before. Yeah, it it, it definitely could be. I mean, I mean, I would love I would love to see something like that. I think. It, it that's the future. Um, I'm glad that they were able to pull it off, even if it's not in person this year. Um, I was kind of worried that they were going to miss it this year. Um, so I'm glad that they actually did get it off, which is which is good. Yeah, and I'm going to give credit to the uh, Clover and Plate Society, and I guess others who have streamed over the years, because even though they haven't made it like a uh, you know, a platform of their presentation that it's online. They have last year, so they kind of got used to that already. They've got their foot wet, so they, they stuck their foot in the water, or their toe in the water at least, a couple of years back at this point. So it wasn't like, oh, no, we've never done anything virtual before, and now we have to do it only virtual. They at least had uh, been open-minded enough to let people who wanted to stream uh, start to stream. So this wasn't 100% new to them. Unfortunately, I'm going to give them the same critique as I give them pat on the back. It would have been great if they would have been fluent in live. I don't know. I think the last seven years that live has been a feature. You know, it would have been nice if they were fluent in live three years ago. Then this year would have been a totally different situation. They'd have been three years of the wiser, you know, the experience of uh, old timer and being able to take in stride some of the little stuff. And uh, instead of just experiencing it for the first time as a group, uh, they would have had some experience and some uh, coaching for the uh, presentation present presenters and the presentation. So, you know, again, it, they they did a great job, but we can always do better, right? Yeah, we can we can definitely always do better, but um, you I guess better late than never, right? <laughs> yeah, at least sure. that's what I think. I I think with a lot of the, the COVID thing going on, uh, what even when we do get a vaccine and everything else, I, I do believe that people are going to remember um, basically what happened with COVID and decide that, that they're going to uh, prepare just in case they have to do this in the future. Yeah, I agree. There's like that silver lining that this experience that everyone's got won't be just forgotten, I guess. They, they at least understand now what this whole live streaming is, where before it was probably just a concept to a lot of people. Yeah, they've uh, basically pushed, uh, they, they were pushed into the modern era, I would say. Yeah, so, and that's good. I mean, that's how things happen, right? When stress creates change and whatnot so you know sometimes you got to be some people have to be pushed at some point you know some people are curious and interested they're only going to do things begrudgingly if they have to and uh we're calling it a silver lining obviously we wouldn't have wanted it this way but if we got to do it this way at least we can pull some benefit out of it yeah i mean i just think a lot of people said oh grpc or is online and they had a misconception of what grpc was 
they thought it was going to be like a two-way rally where people give speeches and hype people up. And that's not yeah. what RPC is. So I think a lot of people went into it thinking that's what it was. Yeah, and I think that that's a little bit too. They're just not used to it. So when they present it to people, or they didn't really, I don't, I don't know if you heard a lot of promotion for it. I kind of think they drop the ball on promotion unless they're not trying to promote it real heavily. But uh, yeah, I have no idea the kind of, from the promotion what people might have thought it was. But the only thing you can assume is that they're going to compare it to things that are like it, and that would be more like a Virginia rally where people literally got up with the idea of talking to a crowd. Uh, either to uh, get them motivated or inspire them or give them a specific set of something, right? Something to talk about where this was just kind of sit reps of ugh, sometimes excruciating details of stuff that was, you know, unless you're really paying attention, kind of tough to follow. So, yeah, more like a, a college lecture than a, uh, a stump speech or a, a politician get uh, they call it rally or something. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a conference. I mean, it's right there in the name. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Just some, some people I spoke to, they were, they brought up that, like, well, you know, it was kind of dry. It was like, it's supposed to be dry. It's a conference. It's not a rally. It is. And I hear you. And I've had the same. I've, I've had some feedback from, you know, the positive side, but I've also had critiques and critiques from people that you know, watch it more or been experienced it in the, or seen it more than once and not just the the seeing it this year but seeing its evolution or lack of evolution over the years is something that some of the critiques that i hear and we have the, one of them one of those situations where we you know there's perfection there's nothing and then there's this event that's happened for 35 years like we got to give it all the credit and respect that reserve deserves but at the same time, yeah, it's not, you know, there is room for other things, I suppose. Like, if you need something that isn't this, we're allowed to do that. Like, if there's room for it, maybe it's time for it. I don't know. But this has been something that ha online has only been an issue for five years, really. There wasn't a way to stream it before that. I might have been able to stream audio before that. But the Internet just wasn't capable of streaming video, you know, more than seven years ago, technically. But uh, realistically, even five years ago, it would have been a difficult situation, assuming that the hotel had decent internet and that kind of thing. But now it's kind of a no-brainer. You can assume you can stream pretty much anywhere. So it'd be nice to see everybody keeping up with the tech, or at least that's not like cutting edge. That's just current tech, you know, streaming. Yeah, I'll, I will be streaming the uh, two-way rally that I'm attending this weekend. Uh, to my channel okay so i know there's a pennsylvania one coming up but what one's coming up this weekend uh it's called uh a god guns and good it is a to a rally there is a really strong second amendment candidate running in the state of virginia his uh, name is bob his name is bob good he is very strong on the second amendment he is one of the um Campbell County was the first two-way sanctuary in Virginia. And he was like the guy that was like the driving force behind that. So now he's running for Congress against a guy named Webb. And Webb is uh, basically funded his 
most of his money comes from Moms Demand Action, Every Town, Bloomberg, and Giffords. So, not really hard to see where that's going to go, where he stands on gun rights. Uh, is it a matter of waking up Virginia, or is it a matter of changing Virginia's mind, do you think? Uh, I think it's a matter of waking up Virginia. Uh, when the when the anti-gun Democrats, I uh, say, not saying all Democrats are anti-gun, but in Virginia, all the ones who ran and won were Democrats. They were all funded by Michael Bloomberg and stuff like that. And they had a really strong get out the vote campaign. And the Republicans in Virginia didn't. So a lot more anti-gun people went to uh, vote than people that were pro-gun. The anti-gun people were rallied for being anti-gun. This can't. This whole election cycle last time we ran on the anti-gun platform. And the gun owners in Virginia at the time just sat back and they're like, we're Virginia. We're not going to go anti-gun. What are you, crazy? That's not going to happen. I was told that. And I told a lot of people, I was like, uh, yeah, you don't understand what's coming down. They're like, yeah, it will be fine. So they stayed home. Well, and they didn't stay home like, I'm not going to vote. But they just stayed home because they normally don't participate. So they just figured they could slide the way they normally slide, not paying attention, only voting when they feel like it. And, yeah, obviously you got slapped with a bunch of money and intent. Um, you haven't had another election since, so I guess you can't know. But assuming that Virginia, like anywhere, I would assume, is going to go be offended by such a situation that was created for you last time around. I'm assuming you're going to pull a Colorado or a 1995 on them and give them consequences for all their their actions. Um, my question is, I don't know if I've heard anybody ask this or answer this one before. Um, the same way that Nevada, when they did their ballot initiative and got universal background checks, and then luckily their attorney, what is it, somebody in their state, the attorney general or somebody said, uh, no, we're not going to do this. You can't make us. This is a dumb initiative that wasn't thought through and it you know it doesn't make sense and i can't afford to do it so we're not doing this whatever the re reasons were because they had literally just taken a carbon copy of the washington state initiative and played it in uh nevada it 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 backfired on them but if it wouldn't have backfired on them we'd have universal background checks in nevada based on ballot initiatives based on bloomberg paying marketers to fool people into signing a ballot you know in shopping center parking lots and at rallies and stuff uh, and then turning in those ballots and suggesting to the populace that people were so concerned that they want to get rid of guns. And here's the ballot initiative that you can now vote on. And that work, you know, paying for marketing and lying uh, was able to get people in, in Nevada. Uh, you would think a gun friendly state to screw up and vote for gun control. Like I say, luckily, there was a loophole that the attorney general used to not enforce it. But what I'm saying is out here, at least, I think that that happening in Nevada woke up Utah, Arizona, Colorado a little bit, maybe New Mexico. You're right. And maybe these states around here that thought like we're impenetrable, we're the West, like you can't put anti-gun stuff and then bam, anti-gun stuff snaps right into Nevada. Right. Is that going to happen in Virginia? Is that going to make the eastern states go, oh, snap, they're not screwing around. And it only takes one election for us to go south, uh, bad. Do you think that'll wake up the other states? Uh, on the East Coast, 
Um, in the south they will. In the north, they're already they've already fallen. <laughs> like everywhere north of Virginia is already fallen, besides New Hampshire, which is uh, staunchly libertarian. But uh, to the south, I can I can definitely see um, them waking up. I know they're making a play to try to do the same stuff in Georgia. So we we will see. Um, I will say that uh, Biden um, he does have a fourteen point lead over Trump, but uh, ever since that was a lot higher before. Um, the Democrats took over and passed all those anti-gun bills. So I'm not saying Trump ties into gun rights, but the people who are likely to vote for Trump are likely to vote for pro-gun candidates. If that makes any sense. No, I hear you. And I think this year is definitely going to bring more people to the ballot box than a typical year that people uh, just ignore or assume or whatever. And if, like you say, they're going to come vote for Trump or for the president, then they're going to be voting for everything else that's on the ballot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, if you look, uh, Biden had like a huge lead over Trump. It was like, he wasn't even considered a, uh, uh, like a light blue state. It was considered a dark blue state. Uh, and since the Democrats took over, now it's considered a light blue state. So that's a little bit, uh, that shows a little bit of how the, um, it's, it's shifting a little bit. But I, but that was even before all the riots and everything, because that's kind of pushed it a little bit more to, uh, you know, Towards Trump, even though it's still polling for Biden, we'll see. Though we will definitely see. I can't uh, wait until the election cycle's over, though. Just so we know. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, one of the years where the focus on it is driving everybody nuts. I think, except for I guess the people getting rich off of this. Yeah, <laughs> especially with the whole Supreme Court stuff now. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I try not to pay attention to politics like in real time. I don't stream politics or anything. I'll watch that stuff after the fact. Listen, to people like yourself who you know can give like a sober, rational uh, recap of what has gone on, unless it's something that's imminent that you have to pay attention to. I let the people that are worried about it worry about it, and then I observe. Once it's already, you know, finished instead of watching it bake and complaining about how it's rising or not rising or whatever. Um, so I really don't pay too much attention. But, yeah, it'll I don't know. It seems like it's one of those things that's almost a perfect storm, like the the way that it went down with the end of Obama. You know, the stuff that's being demanded is perfectly ironic to, you know, they literally $180 position. So the people that were against the concept before for it now and vice versa. So that part of it is just, you know, I don't find it funny or ironic. I just find it frustrating and I don't like to 
micro follow it or whatever that would be called, you know, because of the stress involved. I would just rather hear the results in a week or two than listen to everybody fight about what's going to happen until it, you know, is a lead up to it. Well, Trump's leading candidate for the Supreme Court is Amy Barrett, and she is very strong in the Second Amendment. Are you talking Ron Barrett's daughter? I don't know if it's the daughter of Ron Barrett. But the no, you mean like Ron Barrett, like the Barrett from Rifles? Yeah, he's got a daughter who's awesome. She basically runs the company. She could totally do something like that. Oh, no, 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 no. This is a, a this is a judge. Oh, then probably not, because Ron's daughter is young. Judges are always old. Uh, she's not that that old. Um, but she's forty eight. Oh well. But but she's a judge. She's not a she. She uh, was a lawyer and a judge. One of the yeah, I things that I find really interesting. I know you don't like to talk about politics, but one of the things that I find really interesting is that uh, one of the reasons why she's opposed by uh, some of the people on the left is because she is a. Uh, a Catholic, which I think is kind of crazy that they oppose someone because they're a Catholic. But yeah. Uh, that sounds like people that were against Kennedy, right? Because he was a Catholic? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. But but she's she's strong on uh, she's strong on, on 2A rights. Uh, she is definitely not pro- Red flag laws, um, and uh, she is against like most gun laws, from what I can tell, from all her rulings. But I think she'll she'll make a good uh, judge, but we'll see what happens. No, uh, but they, they are definitely attacking her, though. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't. Is there anybody that they could put up? They could. I don't even know if you. There's a way to define the most neutral, but you could put the most neutral up there. And I feel like in this kind of situation, they would only pick on the negative parts or the non, you know, the parts that don't go to their side or whatever. Yeah, Trump could nominate uh, like the most liberal, left-leaning judge in the world, and they would still. Object to it. Too. Yeah, you could put like Gandhi in there and they'd be like, he's not American. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, uh, she's actually, there was a case uh, called Cantor versus Barr, which was going to, uh, it was a guy who was convicted of mail fraud, which is a felony. So they stripped him of his right to bear arms. Uh, and he appealed. On you know saying my rights are violated, it, the the court ruled that you know it, they had right they had a right to take away his right to bear arms even though he wasn't com, uh, convicted of a uh, a serious offense. It's a mill fraud. Yeah, it's just a felony, but it's not a violent felony. You know, uh, she dissented on that. Um. Uh, so she basically said once a person has served their terms, 
um, of their, you know, fence that they should be free to own firearms. And she pointed out that, you know, that preventing this guy from owning a firearm was doing nothing to prevent gun violence because he wasn't a violent offender. So her, her dissent, if anybody wants to read a good dissent, I would definitely read Cantor vs. Barr. And it was in the Seventh Circuit Court because it was a long dissent, too, where she so said... You, you do this for a living, sort of, haven't... Uh, uh, pay attention to these things and, and find them and then read them. Uh, but mm -hmm. would you say it's worth finding the, I'm guessing you're talking about like going to the court case and then whatever, click on the tab that talks about them and then finding hers and reading it. But uh, there's also books and stuff that'll like summarize it. Would you recommend for somebody that's digging into something like this to just go to the site and look at the raw stuff and just get into it and get used to it or reading some of these like summary type uh uh, layman's terms, explanation, because there's some writers that will focus on these things. Yeah, well, her dissent in the Cantorverse Bar case is is not really, I mean, it's very clear what she's saying. Uh, basically, she says something like, uh, you, know, convict, uh, you know, stripping a nonviolent felon of their rights is, uh, to uh, bear arms is ludicrous, is basically what she's saying. Oh, so it's not like some sort of weird jargon where you have to have somebody explain what she was really getting at. It's just no, no, it was, she was very clear saying this is a violation of their rights. It's like, what is the point of, what is the point of, you know, stripping a nonviolent felon of their, of their right to bear arms? They've never committed violence. Chances are they're never going to commit violence. So you're taking away their right, not for the public safety, but for your own selfish goals. Yeah, maybe as a punishment or something, but yeah, we don't necessarily need the yeah, government. Yeah, but once, once, once they're sent you know. No, I hear you. I'm agreeing. I don't think they need to be yeah. doing punishments anyway. Your time was already a punishment. Yeah. It, it's uh, she is a pretty she's pretty strong in the Second Amendment. Um, so anyone who wants to read about that should. She is definitely my choice, not not GOH choice. I gotta I gotta preface that <laughs> that is not GOH choice, but, but she is definitely my choice. But not meaning the GOH has some other choice, just that the GOH doesn't have a choice period right like they don't have a interest in it we don't have a interest in it there might be a something coming out soon but um i don't know if it's going to be amy barrett or not um the goa does a lot of research before we go ahead and say this is a person that we want we look at the strongest candidates and try to determine which one we want to support I am firmly on board board with uh, Amy Barrett. Some people might not be. Uh, I don't know if anybody at GOA is not on board with her, but I am definitely on board with Amy Barrett just because not only will she agree with us on a lot of the 2A stuff, but more importantly, 
she will agree to hear the two-way stuff. Yeah, that's an element that uh, or a factor or whatever that needs to be on the table because it doesn't do us any good if they're friendly but unwilling to even talk about it. Yeah, and and she she's a gun owner. She feels strongly about gun rights and everything else. So I think that's something someone we really need to consider. All right, let me ask, can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, something made me think of this one. So all this stuff's going on, and one way or another, there's going to be a conclusion one way or the other to every single thing that people are worried about today, right? And I'm going to say five years from now, so it's way beyond any kind of Trump second term or Biden first term or whatever might happen. Five years from now, where do you see everything? What, where are we going? What direction? What hill are we on? Where are we going? Where have we been? That that's a hard question. That that's a really hard question. Out of nowhere and a long time off with a lot of variables. Yeah, that's that's a really hard question. Uh, if you asked me five years ago, I would be able to give you a more definite answer or five years for this. But we're in a lot of uncharted territory right now, um, politically speaking, and also just life first thing we have to ask ourselves is when are we going to return to normal or is this the new normal that's going to be like this, like wearing masks, social distancing going forward is, is we got to, this is going to sound stupid, but is the handshake dead, you know? And, and it's, it's little stuff like that, that I think is going to shape the bigger portions. And then you have the tech, technology that's exploding that's actually it's connecting us but it's also making us more isolated it's when i say isolated i we have more of ability to connect with each other but we also get stuck in our little vacuum chambers which kind of push us to one side or the other where we have this inkling that the other side hates us and the other side hates you know justice or the country or whatnot where we have to realize that both sides probably want the same thing you know people don't generally care about a lot of issues what they care about is will i be able to put food on the table for my family or, you know, will my kids have a better life? And I think both sides have that, but there's just a different way of getting there on both sides. But I do see certain people that are in power that want to divide us to stay in power. Um, with all that said, and five years i hope that we're we are more together not all the way together because that's never gonna happen but more together more understanding i i just don't see that happening though i think we're gonna be more divided than ever unfortunately 
Yeah, there's no way, you know, to know, like you said, there's so many variables. So looking five years back, though, would have been 2015. Um, I guess it wasn't all that really different. If you went 10 years back, it was dramatically different, I think. Um, so the amount of uh, change that people are capable of dealing with between 10 and 20 uh, makes me optimistic. So I'm not... I, I understand that there's a potential for failure, you know, for a glitch or for misunderstanding and violence and bad stuff, but I don't think it's inevitable at all. So um, I hear you with all that stuff that, I mean, we're kind of talking about conversations we've had off topic, I guess, talking about social platforms and, and the way people use the web and the way people don't pay attention. But I think there's just as much potential for this uh, election cycle and everything that's part of that to give people that can, can, uh, universal, I guess is the word, almost globally universal wake-up call. And I guess we're going to have to see with time whether or not, I mean, the alarm's going off. All this stuff is indications that there's issues, and it's whether or not we hit the snooze alarm or if we you know, knock the alarm off the table. And all it takes is us to just step off a of social all the things that are good about the internet are still there. You just step off a of social and you have the, you lose the influence of a manipulative um, mechanic, robot engineer, or what is it? Mechanical learning, um, machine, is, learning. machine learning, which it turns out, you know, there is looking to be one of the culprits, one of the, the mechanisms that has too many unknowns that when you fiddle with it, too many extra things happen. Once people start to be aware of that and question it, I think we might have as simple everyone steps off the elevator and all of a sudden, you know, it's not an issue if the elevator is stable or not because nobody's using it anymore. It's like MySpace. So I think if we have that, then we have a different future. But obviously, there's no there's no reason that's going to happen. I'm just saying it could happen just as easily as failure. I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, you, you bring up MySpace. MySpace was crushed by Facebook. If you look back at the Friendster day, Friendster had under 100,000 people. The MySpace had uh, like a, a million people. Uh, and then Facebook now has 2 billion people. So it, it, social media is growing. It might not be Facebook, but it's going to be another platform, whether it's on right now. I don't see anything on the horizon that's going to take down Facebook. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's if you go with that, then yeah, there'd have to be something bigger or that much you know, factor better than Facebook to overcome it, and that would uh, be difficult to see coming. Um, but I'm thinking more of just a, a shift where instead of you know people if they just figured out emails and websites are enough and learn how to master them, then you don't have the influence. You might have a Google influence with search, but um, you just have less of the other, you know, influence if they don't, what do they really get from Facebook? The DMs, oh. and the, the events, if other platforms or other systems came in, they figured out how to do things differently, but that would require, you know, a bad stink in Facebook or a fire, you know, that would make people want to flee, not you know, I don't think there's going to be something that's so much more attractive that they're going to rush over and leave Facebook in a, a ghost town. Well, uh, people under 30, most people under 30 do not use email at all. They use right. messaging. Right. 
when I work for because they don't do anything. When you're under 30, what do you, you you don't do nothing. You go to dinner and you make plans for tomorrow, but you're not worrying about, oh, what did I tell the sitter about the kids uh, two years ago? And that's when you figure out email is pretty handy. If you're not sending attachments for work, then yeah, text works great. So I'm sure that a bunch of kids use things until they become responsible adults and then they have to use things differently. But uh, for frivolous stuff, yeah, you can use stuff that doesn't have a, an archive or doesn't have a searchable way to reclaim data. Yeah. Well, Facebook does have a searchable way to reclaim data and messages. Um, and we, in Facebook, when I worked for Facebook, we used messaging. We hardly ever used emails. I hear you. So what do you want me to say? I'm not defending emails. I agree that we don't use things consistently over time. So why would we... If we don't use emails, and emails were literally core, fundamental to the internet five years ago, 10 years ago, that was all there was, then why would we expect Facebook is going to be here permanently for the rest of time? We evolve oh. as humans, and the way that we use our tools evolves. We don't use you know, ratchets anymore when you got power tools and air tools. Well, I'm not saying that Facebook is going to be the end-all, be-all. What I'm saying is that it for the foreseeable future, it's going to be some type of social media platform. Oh, I hear you. But everybody always says that until the end of it. Now I hear you like I might not be using the best not analogy. In five years. Huh? You, you asked me where I see the world in five years. I don't think right, we're right, going right. to social media in five years. Well, we only didn't even have social media 10 years ago. So, I mean, it doesn't, we don't have to have it for three generations just because we have it. It, it could be a laughing stock. Once people figure out they're manipulated and they figure out that something's not for their benefit, how long do you think they're going to stick around? Facebook would have to change drastically for people to, once they understand what it's doing to them and what it's doing to their children. And, it, you know, if you take phones away from children, how big is Facebook? So if people decide that Facebook is an evil and they take it away, it's gone tomorrow. I mean, it's it's just a thing. So the, the idea that people need to use the Internet that way, I hear you. I don't know if that's going to go away in five years or if we're going to change our patterns in five years. But literally all it takes is people figuring out that they can do things individually instead of on a, a giant platform that provides it for you. Well, if you look at it, uh, face, uh, like the when uh, the internet entered into the American lexicon, I know it's been around since the 60s, but 94 was when UNET uh, came up with the first, or 92, but 94 is when they finally launched the first commercially available internet and people started buying it. Um, the, it was still in academia and stuff like that. I remember using it in the late 80s when I was like in middle school um, using links, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, like 90, 94, 95-ish, that's when a lot of people started getting it. We had a bulletin boards, which was kind of like social media. Then in 99, I, I got on Friendster and then MySpace and then YouTube. So I think social media has been around a little bit longer than what a lot of people think. No, that's a good point. And people are never going to stop being social. I mean, that's the thing. I guess what I'm saying is one platform like the it was it was the AOL. It was the MySpace. It's the Facebook where like they're your portal or whatever uh, that 
isn't a requirement of the internet. In fact, no. it's every time we change, it's when people get a look at what's outside of that. And that's when the next best thing comes along. You know, when people start looking out the window. But you're right. Every, as soon as people could talk on a phone, they started chat room, basically, like where they call those back in the day where people would get together and like 10 people on a phone call. So, yeah, there's always the tendency or the need for people to get together and communicate in a group and someone will come along and cater to that for sure. But here's the thing with Facebook, which makes, I think makes Facebook dangerous. Every time there's a new and upcoming social media platform, WhatsApp, uh, Instagram, Oculus, all these social media platforms, once they start threatening Facebook, Facebook just buys them. So I think it might be to the point where we need the government to step in and say, hey, you're becoming a monopoly. You cannot buy another platform. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I hear exactly what you're saying, and that is frustrating, but I'm too capitalist for that. So I'd rather see education and awareness and people just say, I don't want to work for, I don't want to work deal with that company. Yeah, I'm, I'm capitalist too, but when you have a company with that much power and they don't have to compete, all they do is buy whoever, you know, it looks like they're going to compete. It's not even like, and we're making, you're making it sound like if there's a competitor, but yeah, you're talking the scale where they can literally just start buying anybody who goes, hey, I have an idea, click, click, I'm going to buy it because they got that kind of funding and that kind of uh, business plan where they, can, it's, they, if it's a good idea, they'll incorporate it. And if it's not, it goes in a drawer, you know, like a lot of other companies have had that plan, but they have the ability to, uh, to, to do it you know they don't have to even think twice they got all the money yeah but they actually they bought platforms and just shut them down right that's what i mean i mean car companies used to do that somebody come up with a better axle and they'd go oh crap that might actually be a better axle we better buy it and not use it so we don't have to retool all our factories when you know chrysler uses it so i mean that isn't a new business tactic but when you got a company that's globally bigger than most states like most countries uh, it doesn't even have to think twice. It can just literally buy every new idea if it's a good idea or not and stifle innovation. So I hear you. I mean, you can't have, well, at least it's tough to have just plain capitalism. I and mean, I'm not necessarily vouching for that. I was just trying to throw a counterpoint in there. I'm not jumping straight to government intervention, yeah. but uh, no, I hear you. It's Facebook is no longer just like a thing in California. It's a global level. A hundred different countries. And we kind of deal with it, or it's going to need to be deal dealt with in a different way than just some little company in California that sells to 100 countries. Yeah, uh, Clover brought up a good point, kind of like the Ma Bells back in the uh, 80s when they had this. I don't know. I'm the divestiture and everything when they chopped up Bell. I don't know. I wasn't. I was. I don't think I was alive. I might have been a baby or something, but. Uh, so I wasn't paying attention at the time. Plus, even if I was around, I wasn't paying attention, stuff like that. But um, I just I don't think I'm a fan of divestiture when they chopped up the bells. I kind of feel like if the bells, if Bell put in all that copper and all that wire, um, then that's theirs. Like, I don't think you get to start telling them how much they get to charge for stuff. I mean, they literally invented stuff that everyone benefits from. Uh, 
you know, just how to move electrons through copper and stuff. A lot of that innovation was done there. So it's real easy in 2020 hindsight, but at the same time, what are you going to do? It, it did happen and we live in the consequences of that world. So whenever it happens, that means there's precedent. So whether I like it or not, you could use that same precedent, I guess, at Facebook and say yeah. you've got to chop it off and leave Instagram by itself and leave all these different components as their own, I suppose. Yeah, well, Bell, um, Bell basically started doing the same thing as Facebook is whenever there was a competitor or someone that they felt threatened by, they just bought them and shut them down. Yeah, or incorporated them and said it's theirs. It's just, uh, this is ours now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And now with, uh, and what's scary with the Bells, Bells is a utility, so they couldn't, you know, kick people off or, you know, saying something that they don't agree with, which Facebook does. They ban you from the public square. And well, okay, but Bell was back in like the olden days when everything was copper and, and like hardwired. So there's nothing telling what they would have done. Like if they could have got all the way up to where we're at now and still been Bell, maybe they would be listening to phone calls. Who knows? They work oh, they, weird. No, but they couldn't. If they if they were if we switched roles, they might. I would say I don't think Facebook is unique. Well, saying, I think that well, other companies could easily be just as bad. But what I'm saying is the bells they couldn't decide whether they they, they would give you phone service or not. They still can't do that. Uh, they're called a utility, and utilities cannot discriminate. They they have to be like an open platform. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like as far as like their role, they weren't allowed to do that, as opposed to whether they could or not. Like I was thinking, if they could or not, you're thinking like if they're allowed to or not. I got you. Exactly. Exactly. So I mean, maybe that's what Facebook needs to go to if they want to stay together. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know if um, I guess you, you could tell us more insight from that. Does it still work? I mean, the way that they've got their business model is not the only way to make money. If they were impartial, let's say, to the content and simply delivered, they'd still make a pile of money, right? It's not like they lose half their income by not being able to focus things as much as they focus today. No, exactly. What they do is um, they they make a follow a boatload of money. You got to remember, a lot of the stuff that they do, content moderation rise, is not based on profits. It's based on ideology. So removing or restricting that from that element from their system, then that wouldn't really affect their bottom line. They're still going to make all the money. No, it's not going to affect their bottom line at all. If anything, if they were to, like Google if, or whoever owns YouTube now, if they were to leave a guns alone and let gun shops put ads in front of my videos, number one, I would care about making a video again because I'd be getting paid. And then those gun shops would have a place to put an ad in front of that's useful. I bet you YouTube would make a pile more money if they left, if they left us alone. Yeah, like, but if they actually just made money off of us, they could make a pile of money. Yeah, but it's ideology it's ideological right. um weston proof uh, makes up a good point these these companies gets, gets by with with it because they aren't publishers yeah here's the thing with um with the whole publisher thing i think i talked about this on your show of how like whenever they get a dmca claim they put hey we're not responsible we're not publishers 
But then when they censor someone, they're like, hey, we can do that. We're publishers. So they got to be forced to. Your other publisher and your your immunity from DCMAs are gone or you are or, or you are not a publisher and you're just a platform and therefore you have to abide by free speech. And when I say free speech, people always jump on me and go, oh, Google, uh, you know, free speech only has to do with the Constitution, you know, with the government. And that's not true. The First Amendment uh, recognizes the pits restrictions of free speech on the government. But free speech does not automatically equal First Amendment. First Amendment deals with the government. Free speech is deals with speech. And that's something that drives me crazy. Sorry, I'm reading uh, comments and not listening as much as reading. But uh, Clover's saying a local car dealer ad. He's seen a local car dealer ad. What would be the difference uh, if it was a local gun shop ad for his video? And like you say, it's nothing. It's just their attitude as a quote-unquote non editorial platform right yeah well they're like we're it, it's it's it drives me crazy it's like they claim to be publishers in one sense then they claim not to be publishers it's whether it it gives them an advantage or not now as far as that first that same five-year thing do you think this is something that'll come to a head or be solved or be addressed even in five years or are we looking at this being something that's just never ending or longer uh i think it's gonna have to come up to a head um it's going there it's going to have to i think they're going to be reclassified as utilities or they're going to be told that hey you're either a platform like you said you are, or are you a publisher? You, you got to be either one. Yeah, after a, a year like this, I mean, the, pl- the election cycle for sure, but then, of course, all the other stuff, um, you would think that if anything's going to make people wake up to it, it's this kind of situation or the amplitude or whatever, you do, you know, the level of the extreme this year. And then, uh, you know, we're in the middle of it, so it's going to take a second for that to all calm down. But when it calms down, I don't know. Who do you think would lead the initiative? Like a competitor or just some senator trying to get a name for themselves or something else? Uh, if Trump wins the re-election, I can see Trump doing it. Um, and senators oh, on. And it, they have support on both sides of the aisle, which I think kind of scares Facebook that, you know, that, you know, the Democrats and Republicans. I know it's universally bad that everybody understands and agrees on something. Yeah, here's the thing with the if you look at the Biden Harris campaign, right? Harris submitted an amicus brief during the Heller case saying that the individual does not have a right to bear arms. The right to bear arms is not an individual right. Um I posted on Facebook before my Facebook account got deleted, my old Facebook account got deleted that uh, her amicus brief and it was marked false by Facebook because, and it said, Camilla Harris supports the individual's right to bear arms. And do you know what their evidence that she supports the right to bear arms is? What? 
she hasn't said that she hasn't that she doesn't support the right to bear arms since she filed <laughs> a, 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 a amicus brief in the Heller case stating that the individual because they said her opinions could change over time. So therefore, this is false. Nice. Is that insane? No, it's definitely political doublespeak. It's like 1984. It's like Orwellian using words, but backwards and against people, like using them as doublespeak. Yeah, it's just like, oh, well, you know, she hasn't said it in the last uh, couple of years, so therefore she must be in support of it now. Unless uh, unless you want her to be against it, then, the, then she's against it. Yeah, if you want her to be against it, then feel free to assume that. But if you're assuming the other, how dare you? Yeah, it's just crazy. All right, we've been on for a little bit of uh, a little over an hour. I want to thank you for uh, coming on, and I want to do the Joe Biden um, Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know if you saw this, so I'm going to quote it exactly. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, one nation, indivisible, indivisible under God, for real. Snap. That's what he said, for real? Yes. Oh, that's abbreviated. That's the new one. <laughs> under God for real. <laughs> I'm just like, what? <laughs> Who was he pandering to? Like, did he think that was gonna get him some points someplace? Was this like I, I know I just think he forgot where he was. I'll show you really quick before we go. Yeah, I think he just forgot where he was. You know, yeah. some of the things, you know, you see it on a, like an Instagram clip or in somebody's show, they'll they'll show something and you know, it's hard to say because if you just stop talking mid-sentence and stand there, it almost looks edited. But America, I pledge allegiance. I pledge allegiance. Okay, hold on, let me let me let me show you this. But yeah, this is the last thing we'll do, and then I'll let you get out of here. All right, let me blow this up here. America. I pledge allegiance to the United States of America. One nation. Indivisible. Under God. For real. <laughs> there you go. It's speechless. That's great. For, for real? You're like, what the hell? What, what the real I don't know man I don't know I'm confused sometimes by Biden night we'll be back tomorrow uh, support me on patreon patreon.com slash John crump patreon.com slash John crump all proceeds go to my niece thank you for watching you can buy my book at Crumpy.com forward slash giants. The patches did ship today, so they should be here in about a week. You join Gun Owners of America for 25% off at gunowners.org slash black dash one dash media. Join the conversation at youtube.com slash John Crump 2. You can uh, get 10% off by using code Crumpy, not Liberty, but Crumpy at blackswantactical.com. Um, you can go to Hawaiian House and use uh, Black There. There it is. Right one.
Uh, also, check out my militia gear at comfy.com slash militia. Remember the giveaway? Thank you to Black Swan Tactical. Uh, the audio-only podcast will be out tomorrow. I'm going to give Mr. G-Webs the final word, and then we're going to get out of here. Right on. Thanks again for the opportunity to chat again. It's always fun to uh, be part of your uh, series here. What is this, number 127? 127, yeah. That's pretty awesome. So 120, I'm honored to be in a list of 127 uh, conversations like this that you've been doing uh, with Second Amendment advocates and people in the gun industry. Uh, gives us all something to listen to that is real, for real. Yeah, there's been actually 140-ish, but there's been like some special episodes that aren't numbered in there as well. Right on. Yeah, appreciate the, uh, the effort and being included in it. It's cool. All right, see you guys.